Hey there, my name is Pastor Roy, and we just want to welcome you today to our online service. And we're well into part eight of our series, Here I Am to Worship. And I believe Pastor Justin expressed the, the same sentiment a couple weeks ago, that this is the longest series I think I've ever developed or been part of. And this concept for the series is that even though our public health department says that they strongly recommend not singing for safety's sake, we can still worship each and every day, even though we're not singing. And we've long made this term worship. We've made it synonymous with singing. But a life of worship has so many more components. This morning I want to take a look at how your attitude may be one of the biggest factors in which your life will be labeled as someone who has a life of worship. And the reason why this, this topic is so important is because the Bible, and in particular Jesus, has so much to say on the topic. Now, our attitude determines the words that we speak and guides our actions. Our attitude is a reflection of what our heart is full of. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is quoted as saying that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And what Jesus is saying is that when it comes from the things that come out of our mouth, where they originate, they have to originate somewhere. So what we say and what our attitude reflects often displays what's really going on inside of us. Have you noticed that it's easy to find stuff for you to be upset at? I mean, if you're looking for it, you don't have to look too far to find something to complain about or to be critical of. I recently read about a certain man who went to a worship service at his church on Sunday. He frowned when the keyboardist missed a note. He glared at two teenagers who were whispering during the service. He looked repeatedly at his watch throughout. And when the offering plate was passed around, he felt like the usher was watching him to see how much he gave. He sat tight-lipped during the singing portion of the service. During the sermon, he smiled to himself when he, when he saw the pastor had, had mis, misspoke or slipped up. During the sermon, he, he was critical of almost everything that came through. And as he sneaked out the side door during communion, he muttered to himself, What a terrible service. Why do I even bother? Another man went to the same worship service on the same Sunday. He chuckled at the sight of a father exchanging hugs with his toddler. During the offering, he wondered, God has given me so much. Am I giving enough? He searched honestly when the scripture readings were read to find a word to which he could live by. Part of the sermon helped him answer a question he'd been thinking about for a long time. He enthusiastically joined in the singing of the closing song. And as he left the church, he thought to himself, how good is it to be in the presence of God with God's people? Both men had gone to the same church on the same Sunday, and each had an ex the exact experience of what they were looking for. Attitude makes all the difference. See, the principle is, you will find what you're looking for. See, in our current climate, you don't have to look too far to find negativity. You don't have to search too long to see something that you can be critical of. At the same time, there are so many blessings around you, so many things to celebrate if you're looking for them. I remember as a family, the first vehicle that we bought 
was a minivan. And after it was written off in an accident, we went car shopping again. And we knew that we weren't going to have any more kids, so we figured, you know what, we really don't need a minivan. An SUV would be quite adequate to meet our needs. So we looked around at a few different options and we settled on a very unique type of vehicle. I don't know if you remember the Pontiac Aztec. The Aztec was very, very unique. The shape was different than anything else that was on the road at the time. The hatchback of our vehicle opened up, tailgate flipped down, and there was a tent package where you could put a tent right around that spot with an air mattress that basically created a tent in the back of your car. The cooler, or sorry, the, 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 mid, mid, the console between the seats actually doubled as a cooler, so you could actually grab the handle, pull it out, and lift it out, and go on a picnic. It was the ultimate sport utility vehicle. But the vehicle itself, while it was a great car, the opinions on it were very polarizing. The Daily Telegraph, a newspaper in England, did a poll where its readers compiled the 100 ugliest cars of all time, and the winner, the Aztec. In 2007, Time Magazine named it one of the worst cars of all time, even though they said it was a, it was a good vehicle at all, but just it was the looks. And in 2010, also listed it as one of the worst inventions of all time. Yet despite the strong feelings people had for its outward appearance, it was a good vehicle. And when we bought the car, we had a few days before we get to actually pick it up. And up to that point, I actually don't really remember seeing any Aztecs on the road. But a funny thing happened. As soon as I became the owner of an Aztec, I saw so many Aztecs driving around. I just never noticed them before. But you will find what you're looking for. See, there's a lot of negativity around us. There's so, but in the midst of it, there's so much beauty, there's so much positivity and blessing around you as well. You will find it if you're looking for it. Today, we're gonna to look at how your bad attitude can hold you back. Now, if there was ever such a thing as a bad attitude hall of fame, it's safe to say that one of the inductees would be the children of Israel. In the Old Testament, we find the people of Israel enslaved to the Egyptians for over 400 years. Now think about this for a moment, 400 years. For 400 years, their people were enslaved and, and used to build the Egyptian empire. For many of these people, their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Not only did they not know what freedom looked like, they didn't even know anybody in their circle who knew somebody that knew freedom. It was all they knew. And they worked from sun up to sun down in the dirt. They were given food and water, just enough to keep them working. And they were beaten, they were abused, they were murdered, they were treated like less than human. And for centuries, them and their ancestors cried out to God to free them, to save them. They likely dreamed about what it would look like if they were truly free. They truly got to make their own decisions, where they would live, what they would eat. And through a series of miracles, God uses a man named Moses to confront Pharaoh and lead the Hebrew or the Israelite people out of Egypt. He marches them right out of Egypt. Now Pharaoh, realizing that the brunt of his workforce is leaving, 
free labor, he decides to change, he changes his tune and he, as he watches them march off, he sends his army after them to go get them and bring them back. Now, it's an iconic moment in the Bible where the Israelites are pinned against the Red Sea with the, with the Egyptian army bearing down on them. God miraculously opens up the Red Sea for them to cross, then closing it again down on top of the Egyptian pursuers, drowning them. Now put yourself in the shoes of these Israelite people. You're slaves all your lives. You cry out to God. God, through Moses, leads you out of captivity. You witness miracle after miracle, but the biggest one, the sea opening and allowing it and closing down. You don't even have your cell phone with you to record it because when you tell people this story later on, they're never going to believe it. And you realize in this moment, you're free. Actually, against all odds, only by the power of a loving God, for the first time in your life, you're free. Now, God, God promised them a land where they would settle and prosper. And as they walked through the desert, through the heat of the day, God would provide clouds and shade to keep them comfortable. He would provide fire at night to keep them warm. In the times they were hungry, God provided ravens for meat, and every day it rained down bread called manna. Provision is what it was. He met their needs. Now, if you think back to last week when we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, there's a line, give us today our daily bread. Immediately the Jewish people's minds would go right back to this story when they heard that. Their daily bread, their predecessors received daily bread. He provided water where there was none. In short, God had rescued them and was now taking care of every one of their needs. Now, you would assume that if that had happened to you, your attitude would be overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with joy and contentment, just utter awe. But read in Exodus 14, 11, Here's what they say. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us, bringing us out, to eat, out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. See, despite the fact that they are now free, despite the fact that they're being taken care of, the Israelites are tired of wandering, they're tired of the same old food, and their attitudes just downright stink. It's funny because for months, we weren't able to meet personally as a church. And the cry of many people was, I wish we could just get back to meeting at church. What I would do to just be able to get back to church, oh how I've missed it. Now for the past couple months, we've been able to meet. And many of you have expressed how great it is, even with the restrictions. Or how maybe you took it for granted. You're just so happy to gather. Yet I've also heard rumors of those that have been grumbling about small, insignificant aspects of the service. And frankly, when I hear the grumblings, I just kind of have to smile because my mind kind of goes to the answer that Moses gave to the grumblings. Exodus 16.8 says, you're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. He says to them, you're complaining. Your attitude is a, it isn't a reflection of your circumstances. Your attitude is a reflection about how you feel about God. 
See, the question this morning is, what does your attitude say about you? What do the things that come out of your mouth say about you? Better yet, take a moment of self-reflection and think, what do I complain about the most? I tend to think this. We often complain about the things that months or years ago we prayed for. See, the Israelites prayed for freedom, only later to complain about that same freedom. See, we do this. We say things like, God, please give me a job. I just need a job, anything. I need to be able to provide for my family. And then the same job you prayed for, you complain about to anyone that will listen, about your boss, about your coworkers, about your pay, about your job description. Or we say, God, please just give me a wife or a husband, at least a date. And now, when you're amongst friends, you complain about him or her constantly. Think about what you complain about most, and the goal is this. We need to shift our focus from the problem to the goodness of God. See, if you're honest with yourself, and you really dig to the root of the things that you complain about, what you will find is this. You'll find you. You'll find that the root is self. The complaints that you have all point back to your needs or your expectations not being met. I want this. I want it this way. I expect this. And when things don't turn out the way I want or the way that you want or the way that we expect, then I feel like I have the right to complain about it. Remember, you see what you look for. But when you choose to see things through your needs and your expectations, you miss the beauty of God amongst the circumstances. So here's my challenge for you. For the next seven days, until we meet again next Sunday, I want you to try and make it through the week without complaining. Now, some of you may not have anything left to say. But I want you to try and make it through the whole week without complaining. And if you catch yourself complaining, I want you to write your complaint down on a piece of paper or jot it down in your phone. And then shift your focus on the goodness of God and look at, look at it from a different perspective. How, and maybe then God will show you how it actually could be a blessing. Your complaint could be a blessing. Here's an example. During the pandemic, you heard people complain, maybe even yourself, on about having to isolate in your homes. Maybe you complained about it that it's boring or it's kind of restrictive or it's against my rights. However, when you shift your perspective and you step back, isolation was possible for many of us because of government fit funding or our jobs were flexible or there was some savings in your account. But for many countries, and we've heard this from some of our missionaries, Self-isolation is not even an option for them. In their country, there is no funding. In their country, there is no flexibility in the workplace. There are no savings to draw from. Before the pandemic, they were already making decisions like, I have a child that's sick. Do I buy food this week or do I buy medication? And they have no room for margin. And if they don't work, no one eats. And so they have to risk. They have to go to work. 
To them, self-isolating is a privilege only the rich can afford. See, our attitude either is of gratitude that we have the ability to self-isolate, or we complain because we have to. So for seven days, no complaining. And if you do, write it down. And then ask God to reveal what the blessing is. I want to go back to the question I asked earlier. What do you complain about the most? I want you to get your, your challenge or, your, or your, your complaint fresh in your mind. And I want you to compare it to this person we're about to read in a moment. There's a very good chance your circumstance will actually pale in comparison. We're going to read about a guy named Paul. Now, Paul lived a couple thousand years ago, and he devoted the last days of his life to preaching the name of Jesus and spreading the message of hope as far as he could across the globe. He's also responsible for writing about two-thirds of the New Testament. One of Paul's dreams was to preach the gospel in the city of Rome. Now, Rome was the center of the modern world during this time. The population at the time was believed to be about 4 million people. That's huge. And he believed that if he got the chance to preach there, because of the city's influence, the impact would be felt around the world. So we're going to look at one of the letters that Paul wrote to the people in this Greek city called Philippi. And he writes this letter to them from Rome in a jail cell. See, Paul had this dream to be a preacher in Rome, but instead he's a prisoner in Rome. And while he awaits trial, accused of causing dissension in Jerusalem, Paul is afforded the privilege of house arrest instead of being thrown into a cold prison. But at all times, Paul is chained to a Roman guard. And in this house that Paul writes his letter, he, he, it's in this house he writes his letter. His dream is on, his dream's on hold, and he's chained to a guard and has so many reasons to complain. And yet, here's what he says. He writes in his letter, Do everything, this is Philippians 2, 14-15, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. And so Paul says to the Philippians, While chained to a guard, mind you, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Instead, turn your eyes and focus on the goodness of God. And there are some very practical reasons for this as well. See, according to psychologist Travis Bradbury, who studied how our brain adapts to complaining, here's what he says in his, in his study. Repo repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Over time, you find it's easier to be negative than positive, regardless of what's happening around you. Complaining becomes your default Behavior which changes how people perceive you is so true. And here's the kicker Complaining damages other areas of your brain as well Research from Stanford University has shown that complaining shrinks the hippocampus an area of the brain that's critical to problem-solving and intelligent thought Damage to the hippocampus is scary because especially when you consider this one of the primary brain areas destroyed by Alzheimer's while it's not an exaggeration to say that complaining leads to brain damage, it doesn't stop there. When you complain, your body releases the stress hormone cortisol. Cortisol shifts you into fight or flight mode, directing oxygen, blood, and energy away from everything but the systems that are essential to immediate survival. 
One effect of cortisol, for example, is to raise your blood pressure and blood sugar so that you'll be prepared to either escape or defend yourself. All the extra cortisol released by frequent complaining impairs your immune system and makes you more susceptible to high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. It even makes the brain more vulnerable to strokes. See, Paul may not have given the Philippians the, the specifics, but his advice is spot on. And given the science behind it, I would venture a guess that the opposite is true. If complaining can rewire your brain for more complaining, a grateful attitude, an attitude that turns towards the goodness of God, could also rewire the brain in a way that it sees the joy, it sees the beauty, and it sees the positivity around us. So here's a couple practical tips. Number one, if you can change your circumstances, change them rather than complaining. Now that doesn't mean you just go out and get a new husband because he snores. But maybe you're in a job where there are questionable ethical business practices taking place and daily you have, to ha you have this battle with your conscience. Well, you can work there for the next 20 years and complain and struggle or you can change jobs. So if it's something you can do to change your circumstances, do. But if you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. Change how you look at things. Students, I'm sure there are times where you didn't want to go to school. Well, guess what? That's not going to change for you for a little while. I used to work in the school system. And I remember one day a grade 4 student came up to me and said, Roy, I wish I had a time machine. Because if I had a time machine, I would go back in time, find the guy who, who invented school, and I'd kick him. See... On the flip side of that, and I understand that as a kid, but on the flip side of that, we live in a country where that provides free education to help you uh, prepare for a career, prepare for a future. While, and while there's other countries where the kids there have no future, they, they have no options other than to get a job at five years old. They would love to go to school. They would love the honor of going to school, but they can't. And when you look at it through that lens, it changes your perspective. Instead of complaining about your marriage and what you're getting from it, recognize that someone special was placed in your life as a gift. And figure out what you can do to give to the marriage. Instead of complaining about your job, look around at all the people that, were, that have been downsized and lost their job in the middle of this pandemic and thank God that you have a job to go to. Instead of complaining about your junky car that has the rust spots, thank God that you have a car. When you change your perspective, you change your attitude. Your attitude is a reflection of who you worship. It doesn't matter if you raise your hands when you sing out loud in church. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. It doesn't matter if you have a lousy attitude. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies or, or how much you read the Bible if you have a lousy attitude. It doesn't matter how much you give in the offering. When people look at your life and they make a determination on who you worship or if your attitude will give them a strong indication. Your lousy attitude and grumbling indicate that the rest of what you do is just a farce or the God you serve is not worth serving. And so Paul, 
who has led this life that is worthy of an A&E biography, a man who's been in prison, he's been bitten by a snake, he's been shipwrecked. At one point he makes this mention of a physical ailment that dogs him day after day. He has this dream to preach in Rome and he finds him chained to a guard instead. It's amazing what a shift in perspective will do. See, while God, while Paul could have prayed for God to unshackle him from these, prison, from these prison guards, it's quite possible God shifted his attitude. God would remind Paul, you're not shackled. They're shackled to you. Paul, I've given you the gift of preaching, so preach, Paul, preach. So he did. Every eight hours, Paul would get a new guard that would come for his ship and shackle himself to Paul. So he got this new audience every eight hours. As a preacher, you're not going to get a more captive audience than someone who is chained to you. Philippians 1, verse 12 and 13 says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, Paul didn't see his life as something where his joy and his contentment came from getting all his needs and all his expectations met. He understood that he was a walking, breathing sacrifice. He wanted God to use him to impact as many people around him. And to do that, complaining or a bad attitude would not serve his mission. So let me close with the words of King David. Wrote in one of his psalms, he said this, Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. So you'll find what you're looking for. Paul was looking for a way to spread the good news. It wasn't what he imagined, but he found it. You will find what you're looking for. If you're looking for all the ways in which you are blessed, for the best in other people, if you're looking for the beauty in this world, you will find it. But if you're looking for the worst in people, the worst in your situation, and the worst in the world around you, I promise you, you will find it. If you want to be a person that's characterized as a person of worship, there are many, many outward signs, but it all begins with your heart and reflects in your attitude. Let's pray. God, let us be a people that despite our circumstances, despite what happens, our attitude never changes. Let us be a people that search for the goodness of you, the goodness around us, the blessing in the midst of, in the midst of chaos. Let us be the, the type of people that is not just silver linings, but we see the absolute pure blessings that are all around us, the people in our lives that, are, that, that bless us continually. God, let us be the people that, that aren't known by our grumbling and our complaining. Let us not be the type of witness that, that speaks the right words, goes to church enough, but the rest of our life is all about criti criticism and complaining. God, let our attitudes drive 
who we are and let it, let it be an incredible witness and reflection of you. So God, as we go into this next week, may we catch ourselves every time we go to complain. And may, when we do complain, God, I, I pray that we would write it down and then we would look and we would, we would look at how there is blessing in the midst of the complaint. So God, I pray, I pray blessing for every person that hears my voice today. And I pray that we would, we would strive to be more and more like you. A little less critical. A little more aware of the blessings that are around us. Would you guide our attitudes and make us a reflection of your love. Amen.